Welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast. I'm Jen Stevens. I'm a retired teacher, the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, and I love nothing more than building community. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've spent my life helping others through my work in healthcare and as a volunteer for various organizations. We are friends who share a love of learning, problem solving, and bringing people together. Each week, join us as we share inspiring stories and bring you new ideas designed to help you live your best life. So now let's learn something new, get inspired, and have some fun. everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? Anything new going on with you? Well, my husband doesn't love to go out and about like I do. Yep. Yet I complain that I'm bored all the time and we have Tuesdays (laughs) off together. (laughs) Yeah. So his latest mission has been to figure out dates we can do at home. Well, that's fun. Yeah, so he bought <laughs> he bought this book. It's I don't know, it's like Couples Adventure Challenge or something. And you go and you scratch off date ideas. And there's like a little legend and it's got little symbols next to the dates. And they'll tell you whether or not you need to shop in advance for the date or whether or not it has to be done during the day or outside or inside or whether there's food involved. So I didn't even really look at it until yesterday. And I realized like some of them need a little preparation and... I wasn't prepared. So we chose one that did not need preparation. And we had to <laughs> we had to each put five words on a piece of paper in like a bucket and then we pulled out five words and then we had to write a poem, a song, a rap or a short story using our words. Chad would have been like I'm out. <laughs> well, so Eric is so funny. I used words like sunshine and adventure, and I don't even know. And he had chicken, road, dog. <laughs> and we get done, and he was like, well, I was just thinking of nouns. I didn't know we could use any word. That's so funny. He's so, so literal. He is so literal, yes. Was so it a story wrote, about a dog and a chicken in the road? That's oh my gosh! Well, luckily, I did not draw chicken. I did not have to work chicken into our story. But we wrote a, we wrote a little short story called Lulu's Big Adventure. Oh, Lulu is uh, the dog. For anybody who doesn't know, I think everybody knows that. <laughs> so, and then in the book, there's places where you can like take a picture of your date and then post it in the book. They even they tell you to get a Polaroid camera and then post Polaroids in it. But we just printed out our short story and then we pasted it in the book so we can go back later and read our little Lulu's big adventure story and then Eric was like I don't know is that long enough to be a short story and I'm like it has a beginning a middle and the end I guess we covered all the bases we used our five words well but then he broke out another date idea which was a scape crate you that sounds like this, fun Jim. yeah Jim. you have to I like called you Jim I don't know. I'll be Jim today. <laughs> I am Jim. I, I need more caffeine. <laughs> Hi, Jim. Uh, yeah, you. it's like a mystery. It was a whodunit escape crate. So you had to find the murderer. It's kind of like Clue. It was okay. like a bunch of people were in a house and people were getting murdered and you had to figure out who did it. But then you had to escape the house. Okay. Because you were locked in. I guess all those Agatha Christie and Clue and all that made us think that people are all the time just getting murdered in houses and we had to solve them. 
I've never actually experienced that. Also, we always thought we would get trapped in quicksand and that never happened. See, my whole childhood, I thought quicksand was, was, yeah, Yeah. people were dying every day from quicksand. Only on the Brady Bunch. I have never had a quicksand trauma brought into the ER. Well, I have to tell you about my shoulder. You know, last time I talked about it being dairy. Mm -hmm. It's not dairy. I just, I think it's just, I think I'm still trying to figure it out. There's so many variables. I went six days, no dairy. I just went to this conference in New Orleans and it's a health and wellness community and all the food they serve us is dairy-free, gluten-free. Is it like paleo? Well, it's it's vegetables. It's just the people are are very particular about what they eat. So everything is dairy-free, gluten-free. And then people can pick and choose between everything else. Like there's lots of vegetables. They have potatoes. They have... You know, meat. You went six days with no bread? Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> everything they serve is <laughs> dairy-free, gluten-free. I can also, see Jen I, smuggling in it's true. bread to dinner. Well, on day, well, a few of the days before I went, I didn't. I wasn't there for seven days. I was there for five days. But a few of the days before I went, I also was like trying to figure out if it was dairy. But then after I was there, my shoulder hurt even more. The longer time went on, I think it was the bed. So, you know what I think it might be? You know, because somebody actually made me think about this. They said, Is it the bed? Did you get a new bed? That's what I I wondered. I didn't get a new bed. It's still my same bed, but it's my sleep number bed. Uh So, I I don't know if I have it set on the same thing. It used to be set on at home. Then, when we, you know, we've been at the beach house, I have a sleep number bed there too, as well. And you know, when it might have started getting better, you remember when my back was out? Uh-huh. Changed my sleep number when my back was out. Did you make it me a, firmer? No, I actually made it less firm. Oh. And it, the way the sleep number bed works, it like still supports you pretty well. What even right. it's but I changed the firmness setting and then that might have been what helped with my shoulder. And then I right before I I did with the whole dairy, right after I reintroduced it, I got a new pillow. Mm-hmm. So the pillow might have been. So I have all these variables, I but I don't think it's dairy. Well, I went to one, and I just wasn't really like getting any results from that one. Some people have suggested uh, I might need around. physical therapy. Well, if you have something out of alignment, and then you do physical therapy, you're just strengthening muscles that are out of alignment, though. Well, see, now I don't know. I, I have a new doctor that I'm going to, and he's, it's um, a holistic medical practice here mm-hmm. in, in Morals Inlet. So maybe I'll ask them for some recommendations of, of who they would recommend, like maybe a chiropractor they know that they would Look suggest. and see if you can find a physiatrist. I've never even heard of that. Well, look it up. Okay. I have a really unstable pelvis, yeah. and I have a lot of SI joint dysfunction, mm-hmm. and I have a like malrotated pelvis a lot, which causes a lot of pain. And I actually saw a physiatrist back home in Kansas City who helped okay. me a lot. I have a feeling we don't have any physiatrists around here. It you sounds might be pretty surprised. Niche. Maybe I would. <laughs> but the good news is it doesn't seem to be related to dairy because the day that I was like, my back hurts even, or my shoulder hurts even more now and a little also in my back, and I haven't been having any dairy or gluten or anything. So we went out to breakfast, like a brunch around 11 one day in New Orleans, and I had sourdough toast with eggs and cheese and avocado. It was so good. That sounds delicious. It was so For good. For those of you that don't know, Jen is 50% mouse. <laughs> what do you she mean? She loves cheese. her cheese. I do love cheese. Yes. <laughs> the thought of never having cheese again was really sad. Yes, my face is a little puffier when I eat cheese. Okay. I don't care. Oh, well. If you look at me, you'll just know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 53. It's okay to have a little puffy face. That's all right. 
Well, now it's time for our weekly good news segment. I love this story. So we have a story out of Georgia shared by the Animal Institute's Lost Pet Recovery Team. On December 18th, a beloved dog, Sammy, went missing in the aftermath of a serious automobile accident on I-75 in Ackworth, Georgia, that left his owner, Shelby, in the hospital. Where's Ackworth? Is it north of Atlanta? Atlanta, yeah. It's one of the okay. part of one of the Atlanta suburbs. I think it's north. I've never yeah. been there, but I think it's north. I think Lainey lives there. Okay. Lainey and Lee, I think they I live in they Ackworth. I thought they live near Savannah. Why did I think that? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, so there was this car accident. Sammy went missing. He was in the car at the time of the accident. Sammy's owner, Shelby, was in the hospital. Shelby's best friends, Grant and Hope, who love Sammy and know him very well, initiated an extensive social media and on-the-ground search effort to locate Sammy before they started working with the Animal Institute's Lost Pet Recovery Team. Sammy successfully and safely navigated long distances over nine days, going from Ackworth to Powder Springs and finally ended up nearly 20 miles away near Bell's Ferry. In doing so, he survived the coldest weather in Atlanta for a generation with temperatures as low as four degrees and through one of the most automobile congested areas in northwestern metro Atlanta. It was one of the more challenging recovery cases the team has ever undertaken. And they said this event has a storybook ending because when the team located a fearful Sammy, he came right up to Grant and Lady, who is Sammy's best friend. A huge thank you goes out to the volunteer members of our Animal Institute's Lost Pet Recovery Team who worked with Grant and Hope through Christmas to bring Sammy home. Oh, I love that. That is a great story. So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the Life Lesson of the Week, I want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. Today, again, I want to share about Factor Meal Delivery Service. I have tried a lot of ready-to-heat meal delivery services, and most of them have gotten a thumbs down for me. I like healthy and convenient food choices, but taste is my primary concern. If it's not delicious, I am not eating it. I don't care how healthy it is. That's true. I don't care if it's free. (laughs) Not only do I love Factor Meals, but my husband loves them as well, and he is a tough customer. If you are looking for some no-fuss, ready-made meal options that you can take on the go or eat at home on busy weeknights, take a look at Factor. The flavor and food quality is out of this world. I will have a link in show notes for Life Lessons listeners where you can save $150 when you try them out. And now it's time for our Life Lesson of the Week. This week, we are going to talk about a subject that doesn't get enough discussion. Did you know that there are nearly 6 million people in the United States who are caregivers to their ill or disabled partners? When presented with a new diagnosis for their loved ones, these caregivers are also faced with sudden new and ongoing challenges, such as navigating the healthcare and insurance systems, often with no former experience. Becoming the primary caretaker for children in the household, a job that may have been done by the sixth spouse prior, oftentimes, in addition to the role of caretaker, they are suddenly faced with a new role as household manager, grocery shopper, errand runner, bill payer. That's a lot for any person to manage alone, but it can even be more overwhelming when they are also financially responsible for the family as well. 
And add to all the responsibility, grief, fear, and exhaustion, who has the time or an outlet for these feelings when it's your job to hold it all together? Luckily, one organization recognized a need for support systems and resources for the well spouse. With us today is Laurel Whitman, president of the Well Spouse Association, to talk about these very real concerns and to share what her organization offers to caregivers. Welcome, Laurel. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for for being here with us because, you know, I've thought about this before and and how hard it would be to be the spouse who's caring. You know, we've we've all seen it. You know, I, I haven't experienced it yet, but we've seen it happen in the lives of people we're close to. So I look forward to learning from your expertise. Before we get into your background and your story, what is the lesson you hope to share with our listeners today? Yeah, thanks for asking. I think the lesson that I'd like to share is that if you are caring for or with a partner who has a chronic illness and you feel very alone, first, that's very normal. And second, there are resources out there. If you would, just kind of share um, a little bit about yourself and your background. What led you to the Well Spouse Organization? Sure, I'd be happy to. So as you said, I'm Laurel Whitman, and I'm president of the board for the Well Spouse Association this year. I found Well Spouse back in around 2014. So I'm in my early 40s. I was in my mid-30s then. And my husband, who is my age, has had advancing MS since he was about 23. And he was one of the unfortunate ones who was diagnosed before there were better medicines that might slow down the progression of MS. And he had a relatively rapid descent into what became basically being bedbound. He's a quadriplegic, you know, and kind of the full range of, of um, late stage tools <laughs> and medical equipment that are out there. So when I found Well Spouse back in 2014, we were kind of midway through that, that experience and I was drowning. There's mm-hmm. no other way to describe that. I think the anxiety in my life was at such a high level. I was feeling, you know, torn between two worlds. I was going to work and trying to pretend that my life was very normal there. And then I'd come home and, you know, my husband can't move and I'm transferring him to the bathroom and to his bed and I'm feeding him and, you know, the hospital stays were starting to accumulate. And so it was a very isolating time and I was really in over my head. And I tell people, if you find Well Spouse doing a middle of the night Google search like I did... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, you've you've found us in a very common way. Right. Yeah. I imagine most people probably are at their breaking point when they finally yeah. ask for help because as humans, we just don't like to ask for help or admit defeat or, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, that's seen as a sign of weakness. Yeah. When, it's a, I mean, yeah. really, I think asking for help is a sign of strength. Yeah. It's a moment of really tremendous vulnerability. And we're already dealing with so much vulnerability, dealing with sickness in our marriage. You mm-hmm. know, the, the person, the patient, if you will, they have a lot of needs that they don't want to have, and you're responsible for fulfilling them, even if they're very hard to fulfill. And so even, even within that, you know, that partnership, it's hard to be vulnerable in that way. And to reach out outside of that to friends, family, your employer, it's tremendously difficult. Right. I know, you know, you get married and it's the whole in sickness and in health. But you don't think there's going to be sickness as starting at the age of 23. Right. <laughs> we're like, all right, when we're 80, there will be sickness. But right now it's the health. And then bam, there you were at the age of, you know, 23, your husband was 23 and the sickness was there and you just are not even knowing what to do. 
No, and there's no preparation for it. And, you know, I'll say, you know, most of our members are older than 50, and it's as hard late in life to deal with it as it is earlier on. The challenges are a little different, but nobody is prepared for for the, the intensity of this kind of experience. No, you're thinking, oh, sure, I'm going to hold the bucket when he's vomiting and <laughs> I'm going to bring him Tylenol while he has a fever. Right, but right. but you never think I'm going to be responsible for providing day in and day out care mm-hmm. for right. your loved one. That's a whole different challenge that most people aren't prepared for emotionally or just from a knowledge base even. That's right. Yeah, I think right now medical care in the U.S., not enough people can access it, but mm-hmm. we can cure a lot of things. We can fix a lot of things. And so I think people have that kind of mindset that it's always possible. And with right. the conditions that our, our members tend to have, these aren't the things that have fixes or cures at this point. And they go on for years. things, like MS, things, Huntington's yep. disease, exactly. things like that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. even things like cancer. You know, we can do mm-hmm. a lot of really great stuff for cancer now if you have it. We can make it a chronic condition. But that's new, right? We haven't right. had cancer being a chronic condition before. How do you deal with it when you have periods where, you know, it's there in your life and then it's it's not there in your life? And, you know, we find with a lot of people that they're on, from the outside, it looks like you're on the same path with your spouse, right? There's one illness, you're going in the same direction. But the dynamics and timing of the emotions around it can be very mm-hmm. different. So, for instance, I think a lot of caregivers tend to kind of keep everything together during the crisis and kind of fall apart afterwards, right? That is right. a really common dynamic. Whereas the patient might actually, in the in the relationship, might actually come out of the acute phase and, you know, they want to grab life. This is terrific. They're feeling better. They're and thriving again. <laughs> right, right. They're thriving yeah. again. And so it, you know, the timing of that is, you know, we're witnessing trauma and they're going through it. You know, the paths are parallel in some ways, but they're different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something else that I think is really important too, that some people don't really think about. If you think back to, I mean, even, you know, 40 some years ago when my mother had me, she was in the hospital for a week after childbirth, mm-hmm. right? Right. At, when she had her gallbladder taken out, she was in the hospital for a week. I had my gallbladder taken out. <laughs> I was in the hospital for a day. Yep. <laughs> and we don't, it used to be sick people were in the hospital and they right. were cared for in the hospital by hospital staff. Mm-hmm. And even now people aren't being, in, they're not being admitted. They're not staying in the hospital. The insurance companies are wanting them kicked out and sent back home sometimes before they're ready to be there. But even on top of that, when you have a loved one in the hospital, more often than not, you're expected to be there taking care of them in the hospital. That's right. That's and, right. And people don't often understand what a stress that is when you're trying to manage your job and manage childcare and that sort of thing. Right. A great example of that is, and my husband, you know, I mentioned he's had a lot of hospital stays. And whenever I say he's about to get discharged, people are like, that's terrific news. Me, the anxiety is starting again because he's right. about to be my responsibility. Right. It is great. I don't want him in the hospital, but man, do I want a break. <laughs> right. And that's and sometimes the, yeah. that's where you get it. <laughs> I completely get yes. it. Tell us a little bit about the Well Spouse Association itself as an organization, sure. what you do, how people find you, how you help them. Yeah, absolutely. So Well Spouse in its current form was founded about 35 years ago now. It was founded by a woman whose situation was actually pretty like mine. Her husband 
also had advancing MS. She was very lonely and, and looking for resources. And of course, this was before the internet, you know, so she did what you did back then. She was a writer and she wrote a book about her experience as a caregiver of a, a partner with MS. And on the last page, she said, if you are also in this situation, send me a postcard. And then she did a tour of morning talk shows and she found other people. They sent postcards. And so it came together into what is now Wealth Spouse. So our model, and it's important, I think, to, to talk about this a little, is a peer support model. So we are not run by medical experts or financial experts or therapists. We are run by people who are in the trenches as caregivers or former caregivers. Um, and for the most part, that's on a volunteer basis. So we think that's a really important model because there's something very different about getting advice and guidance and you know thoughts on how to solve a situation from somebody who's been there before. The way we do our work is through a network of peer support groups. We have around 30 that meet each month all over the U.S. And because of the pandemic, of course, a lot of our meetings are now on Zoom. So that really helps with the um, kind of enhancing our geography as a small organization. We organize respite weekends uh, several times throughout the year. We do a national conference each year. We just went back to that last October, and that was exciting to see people live again. And then we do webinars on topics that matter to people. So for instance, we did our first four-week meditation program earlier this year, and we ran it a second time because it was so successful. And it was a very short program designed to fit into caregiver schedules and, you know, to do it in community, right? We all know the things we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do yoga and we're supposed to meditate and we're supposed to eat well, but, you know, life gets in the way. And so the thought is if you can set aside time to do it with people who understand, you're probably more likely to do those important self-care things. And then we also are online, which is great because, you know, you can get 24-hour support. We've got um, 3,500 people in our Facebook support group. We have a presence on, you know, most of the platforms where you can reach people. So if you need somebody kind of any hour of the day or night, we want you to be able to find that. I think that's important because for for all of us who are, are not at that point, and I'm going to use the word yet, because eventually mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> in every partnership, there's going to come a time right. unless you, you know, both like die in a tragic accident, which, you know, happens. But other than that, there's going to come a point where one spouse is not well and the other is caring for them to some degree. That happens Mm -hmm. in every relationship. So I bet some of the things that you feel are not, you might be embarrassed to talk about Mm -hmm. them. Like you might feel, you know, some negative feelings towards your spouse Mm -hmm. who's not well. And that would be hard to admit because you're, you promise to love and sickness and in health and you probably resent that they need your care. And you Mm -hmm. don't want to be able to admit that to people because you're this, you know, angelic person (laughs) caring for your spouse, (laughs) right? (laughs) You're so fabulous. But instead you're like, I'm sick of this. I didn't sign up for, for this. So it it probably helps a lot. All of that to say, to have someone to, to understands. Right. No, that's exactly it's exactly right. I think the negative emotions are the ones people obviously struggle with. And, you know, aside from the people I've met through Well Spouse, I think the most important thing I got was a language to go with this experience. I think I said it early on, it was the anxiety in my life that really drove me to find it. And I didn't have a good handle on that. Every emotion I was having was basically coming across as anxiety. But really, it was anger. It was grief. Mm-hmm. It was resentment. It was loss you know, kind of in all directions, my husband at the situation, family friends that might (laughs) disappoint in a moment, you know, Mm -hmm. through no fault of their own. It's just, it's an overwhelming situation. And 
people, it's isolating too, because people do have that picture of the, you know, angelic self-sacrificing caregiver. And that you don't feel like that every day. No, you don't feel like that most days. And it's, it's okay. It's a rare it's moment. A, That's right. You can feel those feelings and know that right. you're not alone and that it's normal and you're not yeah. bad. And I always right. say that to people who who come early and, you know, if they're wrestling with kind of talking about the negative emotions is like, you can have complicated emotions about this situation. There can be good elements and there can mm-hmm. be really terrible elements and you can have both at the same time. You don't have to pick. I went through a period, Jen knows this, it's kind of how I found Jen actually, which it's it totally unrelated, but kind of related. My husband went through a period of mental health issues and um, didn't work for over two years, about two and a half years. Very isolated himself from family, friends, the public. Meanwhile, I'm working. I'm trying to keep a roof over our head. I'm working two jobs. And I was very lucky in that I worked with an older gentleman. I called him my work dad. (laughs) And he was just a really soulful individual who listened without judgment. Mm -hmm. So I had him that I could go talk to on the weekends, but I found myself just so like immersed in his caretaking and worried about him that I needed something just for me. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't talk really about what was going on with him because like people just Mm -hmm. don't understand mental illness. You know, they're like, suck it up. He just yeah. needs to suck it up and go to work, you if know? If he had cancer, you could have been talking about it, not right. embarrassed right. or ashamed. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I just need some connection in my life. Mm-hmm. And that is how I actually found Jen because she mm-hmm. had a Facebook community, totally off subject for intermittent <laughs> fasting. And I was an intermittent faster. So I found mm-hmm. her community and I just immersed myself in talking to other people because sometimes mm-hmm. it's just nice to get out of what's happening in your small circle yeah, and, and see what's happening in the big circle. And from talking to other people, I could see that, you know, I had my struggles in my house and in my life, but everybody has their own struggles. Mm -hmm. And when you isolate, Mm -hmm. you, you stop seeing that this is like, it's not just you. You start thinking, is it just me? Am I the only one that feels that way? But you start to see that other people have the same feelings you have, and other people are also struggling. Not everybody's life is, you know, a bed of roses. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, misery loves company. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but it yeah. almost kind of normalizes mm-hmm. your life in a way that it's not so overwhelming, I guess, maybe. Yeah. Does that yeah, feel mean, true to you? Yes. Uh, there's such value in finding people you don't have to explain yourself to. Mm-hmm. You know, my my family and friends are fabulous. They really are. I, I'm so fortunate. That's not always the case, right? That you often have, you know, family and friends will, will they have struggled themselves dealing with, with illness. And so mm-hmm. they may disappear. That, we see that a lot. That's not my experience. But they still don't get it in the same way that somebody who is going through those same emotions you know, right. they just get it. You don't have to explain. That's just a really beautiful thing when you find it. Not enough people find it. You mentioned like you do webinars. Like mm-hmm. what what types of things do you cover in your webinars? Yeah. One we did last year that I was really excited about and we're just about to, an- by the time this is live, it will be announced. But we did a webinar on the first research in 
the role of trauma in caregiving, which blows my mind that nobody thought to study that. You know, I think we all think of PTSD as a, it's a, it goes along with military service or seeing violent crime or being a victim of violent crime. But it turns out caregivers go through their own form of trauma separate from the medical trauma their partner may face. It is really terrifying to see your spouse in an ICU and have things beeping all the time and you don't know what they're beeping about. It can lead to PTSD. And so we presented this research. We found the people who were doing it and they came and talked to us for an hour. And then we're about to do the outcome of some of that research was that narrative writing about your experience, the traumatic experience can be very important. So we're going to be doing a narrative writing seminar over three weeks. I'm really excited about it um, so that people can try to work through some of that trauma and process it a little better. And again, we do it in community. So, you know, there's support. It will be led in this case by somebody who's trained in doing some of this work. Um, you know, it's a very sensitive topic, but it's such an important topic. And I, I can't wait to, to bring it to our group. I, you know what, to this, just this morning, somebody reached out to me this morning. I, apparently I'm on the right page. I didn't even know it. (laughs) She, we just, today we had an episode released on hospice care and she reached out to me and asked if she could share something, her hospice experience. And she said she'd been, you know, jotting some notes down and she wanted to reply to my post in our community about it, but she was afraid it was going to be negative. And I said, it's your experience. If you want to write and share about it, you know, write and share about it. And she said, can I send it to you first? And then she said, you know, I wrote it all out. It's really long and I don't even feel like I should share this. Maybe I shouldn't say this or something. And I said, if it's therapeutic for you to write it out and share it, then that's what you should do. And so she did end up doing that. And um, one of the words that she used in her writing was how traumatic the experience was. So I think people don't, maybe they don't want to admit that they're traumatized in the, mm-hmm. in the moment, right? Because that would feel maybe selfish to take away yeah. from the person that's sick or disabled. Right. It's yeah. not about me. It's about my, my spouse, right? right. And, but, but it is about you. It is right. traumatic. And I right. think that probably... The fact that you're supposed to just buck up and Mm -hmm. manage it probably makes it even more traumatic. Yeah. Well, that's how you do the the dynamic we see of people getting through the experience and then just falling apart. The panic attacks, depression, the I can't get myself out of bed and now they're home from the hospital. What do I do? It's tough because it's an all-encompassing experience, right? How do you deal with that in the moment? I'm hoping that you know we can share some tools with people that might help them process a little bit more in real time to offload some of the the stress and the anxiety and the trauma that they're seeing, you know, put it and down. And what are some of those tools besides the writing? Besides the writing, yeah. So the support groups, I think, are really helpful. That's kind of the entree, I think, that most people have to WellSpouse mm-hmm. if they haven't found us online is to um, try one of our support group meetings. It is not at all unusual that people join and say, I have never told this story, my story, to anyone before. And then they start crying. Totally normal. (laughs) It is really hard to take the words that are inside you about this really difficult experience and put them out into the world with an audience you don't really know. It's so important to have that safe space where you can can talk about these things. And again, put some of the the words to 
the experience you're having if you haven't been using those yourself. We use, again, writing, but a little different format. Our newsletter, we publish that uh, four times a year, and it's written by people in our community. So that's an outlet for, you know, ongoing work. It isn't necessarily about trauma, but it might be about your experiences, frustrations you have, um, good things in caregiving. We don't shy away from that too. <laughs> it's just that those don't tend to be the things that cause the uh, the stress that, that the uh, right. tougher moments cause. Right. You said you offer resources to people. What kind of resources do you offer? These services. So okay. it, it's the peer support. It's the different pieces of it. So like the support groups, there are a lot of support groups out there, right? You can find them at local hospitals or through local medical practices or, you know, the disease organizations. Like we went to MS support group meetings early on. What's different about us is that we've been around 35 years and those meetings have continued. They aren't a six-week program. They aren't a, you know, a two-week session that one other person shows up for. These are meetings that that meet for weeks or in months and years on end, which is what you need if you're a caregiver. You know, my needs aren't going to be less six months from now than they are right. today. You know, I need that continuity and I need that community around me. And that's what, you know, these, this model brings. You also mentioned respite weekends. Mm-hmm. Y'all, yeah. I'll help people I was organize just going to ask about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we do several of those a year. So those are for people who are able to get away from their spouse. We know that's not mm-hmm. everyone's situation. I've been, you know, personally, I've been able to get away at some points in Eddie's disease progression and other points. It's, it's too hard, but we do think it's important for the people who can get away that they have that opportunity. And they're, right. They're low-key weekends. You know, sometimes we do a bit of learning around them. You know, we might have a speaker come in. But for the most part, it's an opportunity to get together without your partner, with people who are caregivers and, you know, interact socially, um, trade ideas, (laughs) you know, see something a little different, do some of the things that a lot of families do normally. Right. um, I'm curious, do you, are you connected with any type of like, volunteer organizations where if somebody needs some like care relief for a day, you can help Mm -hmm. hook them up with that or? Yeah, that's tough for us to do given our size um, and, you know, having volunteer staff basically. Uh And the fact that every state does that a little differently, Mm -hmm. you know, that's one of the issues of of the kind of the service delivery in the U S is that the options that are available to me in Northern Virginia are going to be very different and, and hard to stay on top of. So yeah, that's, we tell people where we have found resources. We can't make those direct referrals at the moment. That makes sense. Okay. So, you know, what are some signs of, of caregiver burnout for the, the spouse that's, that's doing the caregiving? Sure. So I think the classic ones are anxiety and depression I think you often see the anxiety piece first, and then it kind of settles into a feeling of you can't lift yourself out of that kind of hole. You start to see people overeating, some people undereat. You see people start to drink more. You know, you start to see anger towards, you know, people you wouldn't normally feel anger and irritation at. You might be angry at work. You might be angry at the person you're caring for. That is, that's common too. You know, we're, we're human and mm-hmm. we aren't exempt from kind of the normal emotions that people get to have in their relationships. So when you start to see kind of these, these symptoms, um, sleeplessness would be another one, too right. much sleep. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's depression and anxiety is really common and it is often caused by the experience. It's not just something that, you know, people bring to it themselves. And so it's, it's kind of that classic list of depression and anxiety symptoms that you want to watch for. 
I imagine people come in and join your little meet your meetings or what your mm-hmm. Zoom meetings or however you whatever you're, you call them your support, support groups. groups. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How often do people come in and talk about their experience who don't even recognize that they're suffering from anxiety or depression? Well, I was one of them. <laughs> I mean, as, you know, it's really it's really common. I think people don't necessarily connect, yeah, what they're doing with some of these symptoms that they're having with that experience of depression and anxiety. It's also really common that people don't recognize themselves as caregivers, right? Mm-hmm. And that six million number I think we started the show with is the people who identify as a caregiver. But there are a lot of people, Sherry, it sounds like you had this experience that you didn't, maybe you weren't changing somebody's briefs or feeding them, but you were stepping in and supporting your partner. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a whole range of experiences, you know, that we consider caregiving that people themselves don't necessarily. Mm -hmm. It might start small, right? You go to a few doctor's appointments with somebody or you're starting to pay more bills when they used to do that, or now you're mowing the lawn. And those are kind of those initial steps towards this different experience, but you don't even know you're on that path yet. So that's part of our challenge, I think, is is helping people learn where they are in that that journey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said doctor's appointments, and that just took me back. You know, my husband was going to a psychiatrist once a Mm -hmm. week and to his counselor once a week. And who was taking him there, Right, me, because he right. wasn't going to take himself, right? Yep. And then add that to caretaking of him and working. And right. yeah, I mean, that it does get exhausting after a while. Okay. And, you know, I kept telling myself, okay, but you can handle it, mm-hmm. right? He can't handle it. You can handle it. So just right. Buck up and, and that do it, leads right? to more anxiety, yeah. more depression, and burnout. And right you there, can for a while, right? It's yeah. not. It doesn't reinforce early on that you can't do it. You usually can for some period of time, and mm-hmm. then it just you know there's this meltdown. Right. <laughs> normally, <Right. laughs> I can't do this anymore. I have no choice, yeah. but I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Now, if somebody is listening. Mm-hmm. And they they have a, a friend or, or someone that they know, a family who's dealing with this sort of a chronic illness or disability, and they want to help, but yeah. they don't know how. You know, you mentioned yeah. earlier, people just stop calling, they stop checking <laughs> in, but, yeah. but they, they want to do something, they don't know what. What advice do you have for for those listeners? Yeah, I so I can say a few things about what not to do. And I'm good. I, I don't... <laughs> we definitely want to know what not to do. <laughs> because yes, this is this is an area I like I do like talking about it because it's something that serves in some ways to further isolate people on both right. sides. So we often have really well-meaning relatives, family, friends say, you need to be doing more self-care. You need to go for a walk. Just take 10 minutes. We have members in our organization who haven't left their house in years because their partner cannot be left alone for any minute. There are people who 10 minutes away is just more than is absolutely possible. And so when we hear about do self-care, it feels like another burden to me when I've gotten it before. And again, I don't, I don't question their intent and their love and their caring and saying these things, but it feels like I'm an item on their checklist. (laughs) You know, like they have said, I know what I need to do here. I need to say, take care of yourself. Check. We're done. It feels, it feels really hollow. That's, you know, it's much easier to hear that kind of message from somebody who can understand the struggles. So somebody Mm -hmm. who is a caregiver. Instead, they need you to come, you need them to come over and do the laundry once a week. That's right. That's exactly right. If you're going to say, just do X of anything, whatever X is, 
offer to take something off their plate to help make that possible. If you can come over and sit with somebody for half an hour, that is really great. And be open to, you know, sometimes the advice is given, I guess, to jump in and tell people what you're going to do to help them. You know, like, I want to go grocery shopping for you. But ask what they need. Ask what they need. I liked mm-hmm. the normalcy of going to the grocery store. I like doing my own laundry. You come over, let me go to the grocery right, store. Right, and then I'll go out. Exactly. Right. You know, it turned out for me, like I figured out finally that one of the ways I could be supported that meant the most to me was when my husband is in the hospital and, you know, things are not going great. I don't like to be the first person into the room in the morning. I want somebody else to go in and kind of help me set the tone for that. And then I also didn't want to be alone at night where I might get a really terrible phone call by myself. We don't have kids. My, you know, my parents Mm -hmm. are local, but if it's me in the house and I get a really awful phone call, that's terrifying. And then I don't go to sleep. So my girlfriends, God bless them, would come over and spend the night at my house, like just to be here. So that if Mm -hmm. the phone rang, I wasn't alone. Mm -hmm. Like those were the ways I needed help, you know? So be open to listening to what people want. And just um, ask them, what can I do? Yeah. What can I do for you? What yeah. do you need? Yeah. And sometimes we need to figure it out ourselves because we're not asking for it regularly. So it took me years to figure out, I need girlfriends to spend the night. <laughs> right. And I think probably people need to be a little insistent. Yeah. Like, don't, mm-hmm. don't take no for an answer the first time because so many women especially are like, no, 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 I've got it. I'm fine. It, right? I got this. Yep. So don't just ask once and don't ask again. But I mean, like I was thinking it would be so easy. I mean, like I just can imagine like I'm thinking about somebody who's like on a, you know, home vent or something. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. They can't be left alone. But maybe their spouse just wants to go take a soak in the tub. Mm -hmm. So if somebody could just come sit and watch TV and sit with their loved one while they go take a bubble bath. That's right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it it's hard. It doesn't have I'd, to be complicated. It doesn't. No. And it's, I get that it's scary. It's scary for me when I'm trying something new. My husband comes home with some new piece of equipment after the latest, the latest hospital stay. It's scary. It's unpredictable. You don't know how best to help the person. You don't know how best to help their partner. Any help, I think, for the most, almost, <laughs> for the most part is going to be important help. Um, if you can give people those little breaks, it's, it's so key. I think we, people are kind of guilty of if they don't know what to say, they Mm -hmm. say nothing. Mm -hmm. Right. Where I feel like as long as your intention is pure, Mm -hmm. there's really no wrong thing to say. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you might inadvertently say something that isn't right, isn't correct per se. And it may not, you know, it might not come across exactly as you intended, but that's right. where I think open communication is really key, yeah. where the person yeah. who's receiving the message could be like, no, you know, that's not exactly right, or that's mm-hmm. not how I feel, or that's not what I need. But just keep communication open and really talk about the needs of everybody involved. Right. Yeah. Um, don't, don't just say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I don't want to go to their house and impose. Right. Right. <laughs> like offer. Maybe they don't consider it an imposition. And the other you know, it's, it's, I hate to add a burden to the caregiver, but it is a little on us to have a little bit of grace about people's clumsy attempts to help, Right. you know, um, you're right. I think the intention matters and communication is important. And, you know, we have to be careful not to isolate ourselves further when Mm -hmm. people are trying their best. And, 
you know, that does, it puts a little more work on our plate, but that's part of maintaining the community around us. Right. Uh, let let people be a little awkward and weird and mm-hmm. don't take it yep. personally because they're they're trying. I, mean, I would right. rather, you know, it yeah. took more courage for them to be awkwardly weird with you than to just yeah. not even say anything to you, right? That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And I think too, like I'm sitting here thinking we're talking and I'm thinking about like my mother was a caregiver like mm-hmm. for my dad at some point, right? My mom's the kind of person that wouldn't want anybody in her house if her house wasn't spotless. Yep. (laughs) And so I think sometimes maybe we have to lower our expectations of what we would normally want to happen. Yeah. That's, and that's so hard. Oh man. And I tell people that all the time. And I, I tell myself that, like I literally use the words, I need to lower my expectations here. Mm -hmm. You know, expectations are how you get to disappointment, right? So yeah. When people fall short of what you want or what you're hoping for, that's where you end up. And the lower you can set your expectations about your house, your work, you know, how polished you'll appear to people in real life. And you've got a partner who maybe isn't, you know, as hygiene isn't what you want it to be, that kind of thing. It really does make your life easier. And at the end of the day, that's, I think, how you get through this is to make Mm -hmm. this as smooth as possible. You know, there's going to be enough thrown at you. Don't make it harder on yourself by thinking that the 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 bathroom must be spotless. Yeah. That person who was able to have a spotless bathroom, you know, once you start down this path, doesn't, that person doesn't exist anymore. You have to carve out a new person to be. And with that comes what you can do for yourself and your family and the rest of the world. So just from talking with people in your community, Like, what do you think the biggest struggle is that people deal with? Is it emotional? Is it not enough time? Like, what do you think the biggest need that people have that needs to be filled is? Yeah, it's a combination of emotional and financial. There is just not enough money for anyone to live this life comfortably. And I think a lot of people think there are, you know, who aren't caregivers yet, they think there are resources available and there aren't. For instance, insurance does not pay for home health if you have somebody right. who requires 24-hour care. Medicare does not pay for home health. For Wow. I had really had no idea. Yeah. So most people pay out of pocket until they qualify for Medicaid, in which case your financial situation looks very different maybe than it did when you started. And so, you know, we've, we've spent time aligning with other caregiving organizations to try and make that point to the people who can fix that and help us fix that. And then the emotional piece. Yeah, it's hard to talk about. And it's not, you know, we touched on this earlier. It's not just your journey. It's somebody else's journey. And so there's all the concerns that people have about feeling disloyal to their partner or oversharing. And sometimes their partner has explicitly said, I don't want you sharing any of this is my story. This isn't your story, you know, and I don't want you talking about it. That is so isolating. I think it's important to touch on this. You know, the marriage is where most people go for intimacy. And what happens Mm -hmm. when chronic illness or disability get in the way of that intimacy? And, you know, some of the official advice we saw early on, you know, in my research on my husband's illness was, you know, just creative ways of doing the same thing. And it's like, none of that can happen anymore. You know, how are you supposed to deal with that? That's something that is even hard to talk about in our support group settings. I bet Um, it is. Right. But we should. We need to, right. because mm-hmm. that's it's that's one of the reasons issue. you, yeah, it's one you of the reasons you seek for, out partners. For intimacy, exactly, exactly. That's right. Yeah. That's right. 
So if people, like, how do you get involved with your organization or if people want to help your organization? Are you, uh, are yeah. you a not-for-profit? Can people donate? That's right. Yes. We're a uh, 501c3 nonprofit organization. So we love donations. We're funded by membership dues and donations for almost all of our budget. So yeah, you can donate through our website and um, you can find us at wellspouse.org. And if you'd like to volunteer, we'd welcome that too. We will, I promise, find a place <laughs> for you to help. The most prevalent way that people volunteer within the organization is to become a support group leader. So mm-hmm. if you have a group, um, if you don't have a group locally, you know, we will help give you the resources to set up that group and market it across our, you know, network of members. And, um, you know, so that's one way people can get involved. And then there's writing for Mainstay, our newsletter, joining our board, you know, the, the classic <laughs> approaches there. Do you see that your service might expand at any point to include any professionals like mental health professionals that might want to volunteer time with your organization, or is that not even on the radar? Yeah, I think that would be a terrific benefit in the future. You know, as we have more resources, I think, to look into those services and help Uh vet them. For now, it's these small programs that, you know, don't take up a lot of time and, and for professional schedules. But I think, you know, it can't be under, understated. The peer-to-peer support is really what what your your foundation is. And that's what yeah. the people need, just connecting with people who are going to understand it in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, Sherry and I are talking about it here, but, you know, you've, yeah. you have gone through things in a different way and, right. and you're going to understand it. Right. And right. there are terrific tools out there. You know, we encourage therapy for people who want that, more of that one-on-one experience with a professional we think having relationships with clergy people is terrific. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a little outside of our, our scope to make those referrals ourselves. Right. But yeah, avail yourself of everything you can. So, <laughs> Well, Laurel, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing this. And again, like, like I mentioned before, every one of us will, will face this. If we're in a relationship with a partner, we will more than likely face this situation. Either we're going to need to be cared for or we're going to be doing the caregiving. So it's important for us to have, you know, have this in our, our minds and know that there's support available for us. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you invited me and in, in, to talk about this really important topic. Well, thank you for being here. Now it's time for our listener-led lesson. It could be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Shannon, and she's got some marital advice. She said, as a young woman about to be married, my mom gave me some good advice that I have since passed along to other young women. She told me not to share the private details that go on between my husband and I with my friends because from that point on, my friends would look at my husband in a different way. You don't want other women looking at your husband and thinking about those things that you've shared. And I think that's such good advice, Sherry, because I I know exactly what she means. You know what the worst is? Is if you like break up with somebody or some, let's say someone break, goes through a breakup and then they tell you all these things and, and then, then they get back together. And then you're like, well, I never liked him anyway. And then they get back <laughs> together and you're like, Ooh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I learned, I learned that the hard way. If someone yeah. breaks up, don't say, well, he was, I hated him. Let me tell you why. Cause if they get back mm. together, that friend is never going to forget that you said that. Right. That is true. <laughs> yeah. That is a hundred percent true. Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of each show, we like to share a motivational quote from a listener, and today's quote comes from Lisa. The quote is, an empty lantern provides no light. Self-care is the fuel that allows your light to shine brightly. She said, after a crazy few years working in the hospital during the pandemic, 
twins that started kindergarten last year, a husband who decided mid-pandemic that he wanted to return to school because his career didn't light him up anymore. I was feeling really burned out by the end of 2022. I was cranky, out of sorts, and I realized I never did anything just for me. I'm so busy holding it all together that I stopped doing things that give me joy and that light me up. And then I saw this quote. So my resolution in 2023 is to let the little things go. Maybe my house will be a mess. Maybe the twins don't get lunches packed with love every day. Maybe my husband has to get them off to school a couple days a week because I just need to sleep in and wake up and take a hot bath and go for a walk in the sunshine. The world will not fall apart if I take a few hours for myself each week. And perhaps my dimming light will start to shine brightly again as well. I think that's so important. We don't have to have everything be perfect. You know, I've got friends coming to visit me tomorrow. I was just in New Orleans for counting the the travel days on each end. It was six days I've been away. My house is not perfectly clean. I don't care. Listen, if your friends are coming into your house and judging your house. Well, they're not. They're not your friends. I'm the one who judges my own house. That's the thing. Right. I'm the one. No, they're not going to care. I actually like it. It makes me happy. So all my friends who are listening, if I come to your house and it's dirty, I'll probably like you better. (laughs) Because I'm like, oh, thank God. You know I had I mean? a friend back home. She had four kids. She was very active at school. She was the PTA president, did scouting, volunteered up at the school. Her house was a disaster. <laughs> and I mean, toys and book bags and coats and shoes everywhere. I mean, you walked in the house and the first thing you thought is, this house is crammed full of love. Yeah. And I never felt as comfortable anywhere but at her house. It wasn't pristine. It yeah. wasn't clean. It wasn't tidy. But it was a well-loved house. Yeah. And you know I like things to be tidy. But tidy and like how clean are it is around the edges. There might be a cat hair uh-huh. dust bowl rolling by. See, we're the opposite. Of cat hair. Okay. I like it clean, but it's not tidy. I mean, I like it clean. <laughs> I like it clean, but that's part so of the take I'll time. tend like to for clean me, before I tidy. Really? See, tidiness is just the way I do. Like, I just put everything in the dishwasher right that minute. It's just the way, that's my, the way I go. Maybe because I was mm-hmm. in the classroom all those years and you had to kind of keep things going, organized as you went. I don't know what it is. I like things to be put away. I can't, but it's yeah, okay. Now, my it's, house, I swear, dirties itself. I cooked yesterday two meals cleaned up the kitchen, wiped down the cabinets. And I went in there this morning and there's like stuff all over the counters. And I'm like, I swear I just cleaned this up last night. Was Eric doing some sleep eating? I don't, I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. (laughs) I have no idea. A poltergeist. I don't know. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. We would love to have you join us in the private Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to become a VIP podcast supporter. Your membership ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Reviews really do help us reach new listeners. We're a community-driven podcast, and here's how you can be a part of our show each week. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment? a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you would like to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com 
or use the link in show notes and then listen each week to hear your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you.